Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. I do apologize for this episode being kind of late. With all the ice and snow and no electricity, it was kind of hard to do the podcast. But we're going to get things caught up for you. And this is a message from a couple of weeks ago called At Home with Jesus. Please enjoy. take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 15. And while you're doing that, Luke, can you do me a favor? We've been trying to straighten your papa out for a long time. We've all tried. Can you see what you can do while he's here, while you're here? Can you straighten him out? He just, I just got a smirk. Maybe it's a lost cause. John chapter 15, John chapter 15 this morning. And I'm really excited about the message today. It's just been one of them, one of them things that have just been just working on me and I have just been thinking about it just day in and day out. I've got this idea in my head that the Holy, that the Holy Spirit put there. And uh, yeah, hey, Holy Spirit. Um, but I am just, um, I'm just excited about it this morning. But John chapter 15 uh, one last time, I know you've stood a lot today, but one last time I ask you to stand in respect and reverence to the Word of God. We're going to read our scripture and then sit back down. The Bible says in John chapter 15 and verse number 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you, whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. The title of the message this morning is At Home with Jesus. At Home with Jesus. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you one, one more time today, Lord. And Lord, I pray once again that you would fill this place and I pray that you'd be with the Word of God as it's being preached and I pray the Holy Spirit would fill our hearts, our minds, Lord, as we focus on what the Word of God has to say today. We thank you so much that we have a Bible. We thank you so much that we have the preserved words of God. Lord, I pray as we look through the Scripture this morning that we're able to dig out some nuggets of truth that would help us to have a closer relationship with you. Be with our preaching service this morning. Fill it with your power. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let me tell you something. I love being home. That's one of the one place I love to go is I love to just be at home. You know, vacations are nice, but man, when you walk after you've been gone for a week and you walk into your front door and you get to sleep in your own bed, it's just an amazing thing. There's something about your bed that's better than every than any other bed, okay? Even if your mattress is kind of lumpy, you want to sleep in your bed. And after a long day of, being, of working and you pull into the carport and you get out of the car and you smell the supper cooking on the stove, you haven't gotten in the house yet. 
And then you walk through the door and the kids are hiding because they're going to jump out and scare you. And just being home is such a wonderful, wonderful thing. Look, and even going home to my parents' house. Man, and I, I can walk in the kitchen door at my mom and at my dad's house, and it's like I'm a teenager again. And I can just imagine that mom's in there. She's got supper on the stove. A lot of my memories have to do around supper. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, so she's got supper on the stove, and, and, and my stepdad's in there. He's watching Gunsmoke, and, you know, my dad's watching Fox News because that's what they watched. And it's just, but, you, you know, just going into my old room and, and seeing where I put the whole in the wall and it's just something about being home and what that goes to show you is your home can be anywhere home is wherever you feel at home you can feel at home here in this church together as a family of God home is wherever you feel at home home gives me so much joy there is joy in home that's why Jesus is telling us what he's telling us in this scripture this morning. If you skip down to verse 11 in our passage, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So man, joy, joy is a wonderful thing. And when you first hear the word joy in your ear, our minds go to what the Webster's Dictionary definition is for joy, which is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune to experience great pleasure and delight. So, man, we think of things that give us joy. My wife gives me joy. My kids give me joy. The Smoky Mountains give me joy. A good state gives me joy and by that definition. But you know what? In here, when, when we talk about this joy, this is joy on a different level. This isn't just your regular, everyday, run-of-the-mill joy. Verse, verse 11 is talking about the joy of Jesus. This is the joy of Jesus here. It said, this, is, this is more than Brett Martin Gatlinburg joy, okay? It's more than that. The joy of Jesus it's not the same as when our minds think of happiness. It's not the same as when our minds think of, of excitement. That's not what this is. The joy of Jesus isn't about a life of ease. The joy of Jesus isn't about taking pleasure in an activity. The joy of Jesus isn't cinnamon bread at Dollywood, although that's close. But that's not what the joy of Jesus is. You know what the joy of Jesus is? The joy of Jesus is the exhilaration of being right with God. That's what the joy of Jesus is. And knowing you're connected to the Savior and knowing that you're at home with the Son of God. Let me tell you something. When the joy of Jesus is in you and your joy is full because of it, there is nothing the ruler of this world can throw at you that will empty out your joy. Because when Jesus feels something, it stays full. And it can't be emptied out by the devil. You know, Jesus has very good reason to tell the disciples here why they need to have joy. Because he's about to leave them. You see, in John, in chapters 14 through 17, this is what's known as Jesus' farewell discourse. Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples, and he's just shared the Passover meal with them, and he's humbly washed their feet. They're still in the upper room. They haven't yet made their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And they're still in the upper room. And while they're there, Jesus is describing to his disciples the events of the crucifixion. Maybe some of, them, some of them knew what he was talking about. Maybe some of them didn't. But nevertheless, Jesus now needs to comfort them. Jesus needs to prepare them for his coming death. And you know how he does that? You know how Jesus comforts his disciples? You know how Jesus comforts them and how he prepares them for what's about to take place is he tells them, look, 
even though I'm going to be gone, there's still a way you can connect with me. Even though I'm going to be gone, there's still a way you can connect. Even though I'm going to be gone, you can still connect. You can still remain. You can still abide. You can still be at home with me. Man, this is a conversation I want to hear. This is a conversation I want to eavesdrop on. You mean Jesus is going to be gone? But there's a way that I can be close to him even though he's not here. I want to be a fly on that wall. I want to bug that room. I want to hear that conversation because how the disciples are going to stay connected to Jesus is the same way we are going to stay connected to Jesus. I want to feel at home with Christ. Everywhere I go, I want to be at home with Jesus Christ. So what I have today is I've got three reasons why we must stay connected to Christ. Number one, you connect to his person. You connect to his person. Let's read the first three verses. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Let's look at that first phrase. It says, I am the true vine. So Jesus in the upper room with his disciples in ancient Israel, and he uses an analogy here. Now, in, in ancient Israel was full of grapes. There were grapes everywhere in ancient Israel. So this is a very good analogy that he's using but it's different. You see, the disciples weren't used to hearing what Jesus is about to tell them. They're not, hearing, they're not used to hearing the analogy of the vine be used in quite this way. Why is that? You see, because in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, the vine, is Israel. Let me read for you Psalms 80, 8 and 9. You removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it and took deep root and filled the land. So Jesus is saying, look, you might have, you have heard that Israel is the vine, but he's saying, I am the true vine. I am the the true vine. And what Jesus is basically saying, look, if you root yourself in Israel, you're not going to bear any fruit. You are not going to bear fruit just because you're Jewish. You are not going to bear any fruit for God just because you were born into the tribes of Israel. That's not what's going on here. You're not going to root yourself in Israel and bear fruit. The only way you're going to bear fruit is if you root yourself into Jesus Christ. He is the only way you will ever bear fruit for God. And guess what? If He is the vine and we are the branches, it is vitally important that we stay connected to Him. Vitally, vitally important. Did you know that a, a branch depends on the vine more than a sheep depends on the shepherd? The, the branch depends on the vine more than the child depends on the father. It is vitally important that we stay connected to Christ. Let's look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So what are these, these branches that don't bear fruit? They're, they're, these are professed Christians, but they're not part of the vine. They're professed Christians but they show no evidence. They're professed Christians, but they show no fruit. If you don't bear any fruit, you're not connected to the vine. You're not. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. That word prune is a word. It means prune. It means purge. It means cleanse. And when you prune something, you cut off something that's dead. You cut off something that's unnecessary so that what's alive can get more life. So that what's alive can get stronger. But pruning hurts. Cutting something off 
hurts. You ever had to cut something out of your life that you really loved? Maybe it was a sin. Maybe it was a person. Pruning hurts. Um, but it's necessary. Uh, some of you that have been here a while have heard me tell this story. Some of you newer have, probably haven't heard it yet. When I was a kid, my grandfather, my papa, had a lease behind our land. And so we went behind our land to the lease, and he planted rows and rows and rows of, of crops. And one of the things he painted, he planted about four or five rows of okra. And so, or okri, which one is it, okra or okri? Okri, okri, my bad. Forgot where we were. Okay. So he planted about four or five rows of okri. And uh, so we, we got out to the field and he went over to some bushes and he started breaking off switches. And so I'm with my cousin Cody and maybe even Shane was there too. And we're like, what's going on here? You know, uh, he's, he's about to get after us or something. But we noticed as he was taking the leaves off of these switches that these switches were forked. And so then what he had us do is he had us go down the oak oakery line and, and whip the oakery. And see, what would happen is, is those leaves on the oakery plants were big and they would keep the sunlight off the fruit, off the oakery. And so what we would do is we would go down and we would whip these these leaves and tear them up that way the sunshine could get to the fruit and you'd actually produce bigger fruit now it probably hurt the plant but in the end it was better for the fruit now let me ask you how are we pruned how are we purged how are we cleansed the next verse tells us you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. Listen to me. The pruning or cleansing is done by the Word of God. The Word of God is a cleansing agent. This is our cleaner. This is what prunes us. It's what purges us. It's what cleans us. For years behind my shop, there's been a patch of grass, okay? And I'd mop my shop out every couple days and dump my mop water and never thought anything about it. Man, I... Uh, I, I, my manager before me did it, and so I did it for a while until I found out you can't do that. Um, would dump antifreeze out there on the concrete. I had to stop that whenever uh, my owner found out. I said, well, he trained me to do that. Well, you don't need to do that anymore, so I said, okay. But anyway, I said all that to say that I've, a lot of stuff has been dumped behind that shop, and that patch of grass was just still there. Well, we started, we got this new cleaner at the shop, the clean the uh, the shop floor it's called purple power man that stuff is strong and after dumping a couple mop buckets out there that patch of grass ain't out there no more y'all don't tell the EPA on me but uh, but listen um, take that off the live stream let's edit that and uh, so listen but that pat when that stuff is strong that grass is dead and man that cleaner is strong so is this cleaner. Because the Word of God, it does several things. The Word of God, it condemns sin. It inspires holiness. It promotes growth. It reveals uh, power. It reveals victory. Jesus washes us through the Word of God. That's why it's so important to go to church. And that's why it's so important to read your Bible. That's why it's so important to live in this book. Because you're not going to get clean. You're not going to get cleansed if you don't have a relationship with your Bible. But then the next word in verse 4. I love this word. This single word is the word that drew me to this passage. It's the reason for the title of the message. It draws me to this passage like a moth to a flame. I love this word. The very first word of verse 4, abide. Abide. I love that word abide. Let's read verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. Like I said, that word abide, it's so beautiful to me. It draws me to this passage like a moth to a flame. And when I hear that word abide, and I hear it in relation to Christ, it literally it comforts my soul. The word abide there is the Greek word meno. And what that word means is it means abide, it means continue, it means dwell, endure, remain, stand. In fact, if you have an NIV, in the NIV, in the NIV it uses the word remain. That's what I want to do with Christ. I want to dwell in Him. I want to live in Him. I want to be at home in Jesus. But here's the thing about the term abide. It's not a one-way street. You ever hear the, you ever hear the old expression, it takes two to tango? Okay. Abide isn't a one-way street. It's not. Listen to what it says. It says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. You abide in me and I in you. This is a mutual relationship. Let me tell you something, Christian. You do not have a one-sided relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't. I promise you, you don't. It is a mutual relationship. Jesus will give you as much as you give to Him. He will return that. Okay? It means if you do your part, He will do His. So it isn't only the disciple is in the Master, but then the Master is in the disciple. This is a very sweet, very precious relationship that we have with our Savior. And it actually, it's actually described in Song of Solomon 6.3 where it says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He who pastures his flock among the lilies. Jesus says, even though I'm gone, I'm not gone. Jesus says, even though you cannot see me, I am closer to you than I have ever been. And all you have to do is choose me. See, because that's what abiding is. Abiding in Jesus is choosing Jesus. If my will abides in Christ, if my choices abide in Christ, if my decisions abide in Christ, then I will connect with Him. When you make a decision to go to church, you connect with Jesus. When you make a decision to sing a worship song, you connect with Jesus. When you make a decision to pray during your day, you connect with Jesus when you make the decision to read and listen to the Word of God, you connect with Jesus. When you make a decision to talk to your coworker about God, you connect with Jesus. And abiding in Him is choosing to be with Him throughout your entire day. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you abide in Me. Um, I can't learn archery if I never pick up a bow. I can't earn a paycheck if I never go to work. And you can't bear fruit unless you're connected to the vine. I'll tell you how later. How much good will ever be done for Christ if we don't ever connect with Him? How much good can we ever do you know, that Escalade, it sat under my porch for many months. And, uh, oh, I was so glad to get rid of that thing. Oh, I was so glad to, to finally trade it in. I can't believe they gave me 1500 for it. Uh, didn't have any reverse. What gears it had was slipping. But, man, they, they gave me something for it. But, man, I tell you what, um, I got that when I traded in and got my new car, I was happy, but I was ready to get rid of that Escalade. And, but you know what? It had been sitting there for a couple months. And so you turn the key on, nothing. Nothing. 
So I had to get the jump box from, I, had a, I have an old jump box from work. And so I cooked it, I, I hooked it up, had let, it had to charge for a while because it had just been sitting there. You know, finally, it finally crunk up and that alternator began to charge that battery because you see, unless that alternator, unless it connects to that battery and recharges it every so often and recharges it every day, that battery is going to run out of power. And one day that battery isn't going to start back up at all if it's not constantly connected to that power. Without a constant, Christian, listen to me, without a constant connection to, to Christ, you are powerless. You wonder why Jesus isn't real to you. You wonder why you never get your prayers answered. How often do you connect to Him? How often do you Jesus on a regular basis? You are a powerless Christian. Verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in Him, He bears much fruit. I don't know what it is about me and peaches, but when I go into a grocery store, you can ask my wife, half the time, is this not true? Half the time, I'll go and I'll grab a peach and I'll check it out and I'll eat it, start eating it before we get out of the grocery store. Oh, I did that before COVID. And, uh, you know, before I'm out of the, most of the time before I'm out of the grocery store parking lot, that thing is just, it's, it's eaten, okay? Because I just, I love that fruit. Fruit bearing is inevitable with abiding. Fruit bearing is an inevitable with abiding. Now the quantity and the quality of the fruit may vary. You may have a branch over here with big old clusters, grapes of Eskel on them. And then you've got a branch over here with itty bitty grapes. But you know what? It's, it's still fruit. But fruit bearing is inevitable with abiding. Look, the purpose, the purpose of a vine, the purpose of a branch is fruit. Let me tell you something. The ancient Israelites did not grow grapes to look at the pretty leaves. That's not why they did it. Okay, now there's some use out of grape leaves, but they didn't grow the vine to look at the pretty leaves. They want the fruit they worked and they toiled and they tilled the ground and they planted the seed and they watered the seed and they tended to the vine because they wanted the fruit. God didn't work for you and toil for you and till the ground for you and water you and tend to you to look at your pretty face. He didn't do that. He definitely didn't do it for me. But you know what? He expects fruit from us. Fruit that can be enjoyed. Like that peach that I just love. Like a good apple every once in a while. Why do you eat fruit? Because you enjoy it. You don't eat fruit that you, you don't enjoy. That's why I don't eat grapefruit. Oh, oh, I hate grapefruit. I can't stand grapefruit juice. Oh, I was on this, you ever been on that diet where you had to drink grapefruit juice? And you, you, you hold your nose and you put your straw in the, all the way in the back of your mouth to try to get it down, and it still gets on your tongue, and I just can't do it. I can't do the grapefruit. You ever heard of the fruit of the Spirit? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. You, have, you ever met a sourpuss? You ever met just somebody just always a grump? And just never wants to. I'm seeing a lot of elbows and a lot of laughing. But you ever just seen somebody that's just just kind of a grump? Now I'm I'm not asking if you've ever met anybody while they're having a bad day. We've all had bad days. You know what I'm saying? And because we're human and we're not perfect. But if you connect to this vine, you'll show this fruit. 
kindness, goodness, self-control, love, joy, peace, patience. You're connected to the vine. You will show this fruit. But if you're not, you won't. I know I'm full of stories today. I got another one. When I was a kid, I mean, we're talking six, seven years old, I was digging into a watermelon. Man, I was eating every season all. I was just gulping it down. My brother-in-law, Jimmy, he said, Brett, since you ate so many seeds, a watermelon's going to start growing in your stomach. And I, hook, line, and sinker, believed him. He told me vines were going to start growing out of my ears. So for a week, I checked my ears to see if vines were going to start growing out of my ears. Because you know what fruit, what fruit has? Most fruit has seeds. So you know what fruit does? It reproduces. Fruit reproduces. Virtually every piece of fruit, except for the good watermelons that don't have seeds in them, but virtually every piece of fruit has seeds so it can reproduce. Let me ask you, Christian, have you as a Christian ever reproduced? Have you? Is anyone a disciple today because of your influence? You know, what, what's, that, what's that tree seed that it's got the, it falls out of a tree, it's got the one propeller on it, and it's zoo, 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 so you know what I'm talking about? But you know what I'm talking about, you've seen those before. Well, I got one of those one time when I was 12. And I, I got a big, beside our porch, I got a big clump of dirt. I put it in the ground. I put the clump of dirt back on. I was like, I planted a tree. And man, I watched that spot. I'm saying I watched it for years. I'd go out there and see if a tree grew. A tree never grew there. I don't know why. A tree never grew. But let me tell you something. Here's the thing about planting seeds. Not every seed you plant is going to grow. But if you never plant any seeds, nothing will ever grow. Reproducing fruit is about planting as many seeds as you possibly can. Then the Bible says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. I want you to remember that that this abiding is a two-way street with Jesus. If you do your part, He'll do His part. And and Jesus' part is pretty cool because if you abide in Him, then part of Him abiding in you is is He will indwell you. And and you'll be able to feel Jesus not in a make-believe, made-up way, but feel Jesus in a very real way. (coughs) And the responsibility doesn't lie solely on you. Um, Jesus plays a part in that as well. But without him, you can't do anything. See, a lot of people think they can do, they can live a good life and do all this stuff without Jesus. That they can be spiritual and not keep the commands that he gave us to keep. A lot of people think that. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do anything whatsoever. Enemies of Jesus, enemies of Christ still find a way to do stuff. There are people that sit around all day and think of ways to oppose Christians and to oppose Christianity and Christ. But you can't do anything real for Christ. You can't do anything of value for Him. Unless you stay connected to Christ, you are wasting your time. But when it's real, and when it's active, and it's alive, and you actively seek out a connection with your Christ, with Christ every day of your life, and you set up shop in Him, and you have a home in Him, then in return you will feel the presence of Jesus. And maybe you haven't cried in years, but when Jesus gets a hold of you, and the tears begin to flow. That's what he can do. And you've connected to Jesus and out of you will flow these springs of living water will flow through you. You've connected to the vine. But then number two this morning, there's a price for not abiding. 
there is a price for not abiding. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you fail to abide, then your life is failed. Your life is failed. A disciple can only spiritually live when he's connected to the Master. I want you to see that there's a progression here. It's not like they were immediately cast into the fire. There were some steps. We had, uh, we had don't abide, cast out, withered, gathered, thrown, and then burned. But I want you to pay attention to the, to, to the wording here. It does not say in that verse that because they did not bear any fruit, they were burned. That's not what it says. It says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out. Jesus knows who's abiding and who is not. Okay? He knows who is saved and who is not. He knows who is a child of God and who is not. He does not rely on our fruit inspecting abilities. He does not rely on that. He doesn't need us as fruit inspectors. He already knows who's abiding and who's not. Now this verse in verse 6, I want, let, let's talk about interpretation of Scripture. All Scripture has one interpretation, so it's not like a passage of Scripture has several interpretations. That's not how it works. Scripture has one interpretation. Now, a, a passage can have many applications. As long as those applications line up with the rest of the Bible, a verse can have several applications, but any given passage of Scripture only has one interpretation. So what I'm going to do with this verse 6 is I'm going to give you the interpretation of the verse, what the verse really means, and I'm going to give you an application as well. So here's the actual interpretation of this verse. The cast out branch is someone who appeared to be a disciple, but they weren't. They weren't. They were a tear among the wheat. They fellowship with true disciples. They came to church. They gave. They prayed. But it was a show and it wasn't real. They were never connected to the vine. They were a false disciple. And because they never connected to the vine, because they put on a show and they were never real and, and they never repented and they never repented from the world and repented from their sins and turned in faith to Jesus Christ. And because they never put their faith in the gospel, that they weren't a child of God. And in the end, they were cast into the fire and that fire is hell. Okay. The best example of a false disciple is the false disciple of all false disciples. And his name is Judas Iscariot. He is the, a, the premier example of a false disciple. Jesus had, uh, Jesus, Judas had everybody fooled except for Jesus. Man, Judas, he performed miracles. He witnessed. He witnessed to people. He, he, he sat under the bread, the best preaching that this world has ever heard. We read about the words in Scripture. He actually heard the Scripture as it was being spoken. He saw demons be cast out by Jesus Christ. And at the Passover, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, they didn't look around and say, oh, I bet it's Judas. I told y'all. I told y'all something was up with Judas. They didn't say that. They looked around and they said, is it I? Am I the one that's going to betray you? They can, he had people so fooled that they considered themselves to betray Jesus before they considered Judas. That's how he had everybody so fooled. Judas kissed the face of God and went to hell because he never repented. He never turned in faith to Christ. Matthew 7, 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work who practice lawlessness. 
I'm talking to somebody in this room today. You're putting on a show. You've never accepted your, Jesus as your Savior. You've never been born again. You've told people you were saved, but you knew it wasn't true. I did that too. I made a false profession. I knew it was false when I made it. I knew I wasn't saved, but I would tell people that I was. Bless God, if you're lost today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Repent. Put your faith in the gospel. Be saved today. Connect yourself to that life-giving vine. Okay, so that's the interpretation of the verse. But then I think an application can be made to Christians as well. Okay? Because it could be looked at as a wasted life of a disciple. So you're saved. You're, you're a Christian. You have your fire insurance. I'm never not going to say you never did anything for God, but you did very little. Spent most of your life, life never really connecting with God, with Christ. You would every now and then. But mainly, instead of laying up treasures in heaven, you laid up treasures on earth, basically. And one day, you will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And other Christians will come and they will put their crowns that they've earned down and fire will come from heaven onto those rewards, onto those crowns. And when fire burns gold or jewels, it actually gets away all the impurities and actually gold and jewels comes out the other side of fire shining and glimmering and clean. But you see, the thing about this person is they have very little fruit to show for their life. So all they have to offer Christ is wood, hay, and stubble. And when fire hits that, it turns to ashes. And that's all you'll have to give Christ. You want an example of this? I'll give you an example of this one too. Let's take Lot. Abraham's nephew. You know, Lot, the Bible says that he, tinched his, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Because it reminded him of the world. But here's the thing. The Bible says that Lot, he was vexed every day by the wickedness of Sodom. And that happens when you're, when you're saved. Man, wickedness, it, it vexes you. I mean, you like your pet sins, but man, some stuff, it just, you know, it, it bothers you. And the thing is, is that that still wasn't enough to get Lot out of his back state. And he died in disgrace committing outrageous sins, having been tricked into drunkenly impregnating his daughters. Some of the worst stuff you could ever hear. And you know, we don't hear from Lot a lot after that. We, we don't hear from him anymore after he did that. So we don't know what he did at that point. All we do know is the book of Hebrews tells us Lot's in heaven. Without a doubt, Hebrews tells us that Lot's in heaven. But I can almost guarantee you he doesn't have a lot to show for his life. The point is when you don't connect to the vine or don't connect on a regular basis, there's a price. And the point is very plain. You are not a true disciple if you don't abide. And then number three, but if you do abide, there is a promise. If you do abide, there is a promise. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You see, uh, uh, abiding in Jesus means first abiding in His words. What are His words? His words are the Bible. You know, how can His words abide in me by reading them through preaching, through teaching, through knowing doctrines? Let me ask you a question. Do you know why you believe what you believe? That's called a doctrine. How many doctrines of the Bible do you know? I mean, proclaiming the Gospel that you have laid up in your heart from the Word of God and and you spent your whole life trying to convince somebody, some people that somebody raised from the dead. 
And that's what sharing the gospel is. And that those verses are laid up in your heart. And you just learn, you just love learning truth after truth after truth. And, and you have a deep-rooted place in your heart for the Word of God. And the Word of God is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And you have true affection for it. And you love the manna from it. And you are so head over heels in love with your Bible that the manna from the Word of God is more important to you than your physical food. And you can't go a whole day without getting some manna from the Word of God because that's how head over heels in love with the Bible you are. You hold it up. You stand for it. You defend it. 1 John 2.24 As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Once again, John is telling us abiding in Christ is about the book. It's about the, the commands. He says, keep my, if you love me, keep my commandments. Where are the commands? The commands are in Scripture or in the preserved Word of God. The key to abiding is the Word of God. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Man, if you are not hopelessly, endlessly, head over heels in love with this book, there's something wrong with your connection. If you can go a whole day without reading in it once, there's something wrong with the connection. Now, I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just saying it's spotty. I'm just saying we got to work on it. It's almost like the Verizon guy. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And you just go to you find that, oh, I got you. I got a good connection. Abiding in Christ is abiding in His Word. But when you do that, something else happens. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So the faithful, abiding disciple, you know what they should expect? Answered prayer. Now look, I know I stand up here and I've told you before that God always answers prayer because no is an answer. I know I say that. But at the same time, you got to understand that if you never get any answered prayer, like you never get a yes, ever, something's wrong there. Something, there, there there's a monkey wrench in the works somewhere, okay? Um, if, if, if no is always the answer, if you never get an answered prayer, maybe your abiding isn't right. Maybe what you're asking for is you ask amiss so that you can consume it upon your own lust. And so you're asking for things outside of the will of God. Maybe that's why he doesn't answer you. My owner trusts me to order for my shop. Okay, so I have vendors that I order product from. Now, some of the vendors that I have, they supply a lot of different types of shop. My shop is solely an oil chain shop. We don't uh, do alignments or brakes or exhausts or anything like that. So if I called my vendor up and I said, I want 20 tires, uh, 205, 1655s, and I need 20 of them. And then he shows up and drops 20 tires off at my shop, and my owner gets the bill. He's seen them like, what in the world just happened? We don't sell tires. Why did you order 20 tires? You know what would happen in that case? The tires would be sent back to the vendor, and Brett wouldn't be able to order product anymore. Card taken away, okay? But you see... The thing is, if I ask for what I know my owner wants me to ask for, he'll give me the money to buy it. When you are an abiding Christian, God trusts you with a company credit card. 
when you're an abiding Christian, He trusts that you're going to ask for the right thing and He trusts you with the company credit card. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be My disciples. You see, the purpose of fruit bearing, it's not bringing glory to you. It's about bringing glory to God. It's about honoring God. Honoring the vine. Honoring the vine dresser. And let me say this. Real fruitfulness is determined over time. Uh, someone once said genuine conversion is not measured by the hasty decision, by hasty decision, but by long range fruitfulness. Let me tell you something you're not going to do. You're not going to come to church once a week for three or four months and then, oh, where's this Jesus real stuff I'm supposed to get? Where's all this answer prayer I'm supposed to get? That's, uh, that's not how it works, Okay. Um, Jesus isn't going to be real to you and answer prayer and, oh, I'm going to church once a week for a few months. That's not what this is about. Let me tell you something today that Jesus is not. Jesus is not your hotel. Jesus doesn't want to be your hotel. You know that place you check in for a few days when you need to do something? So you need to go somewhere, so you go check in for a few, day, few, few days. Oh, you go and you check in, and oh, I'm going to enjoy the jacuzzi. I'm going to enjoy the continental breakfast. I'm going to make one of those uh, waffle flippy thingies. You know, I love the waffle flipper, okay? Um, but, you know, Jesus isn't your hotel room. He wants to be your home. He doesn't want to be a place that you go to when you need something. He wants you to remain in Him. He wants us to abide in Him. He wants us to stay connected to Him. He wants us to be at home in Him. So it's time to abide. It's time to remain. It's time to stay connected to the vine. And it's time to be at home with Jesus. Now here's one last question. Did the disciples take Jesus' word to heart? Did they stay at home with Him? Did they stay connected to the vine? Did they remain in Him? Well, a few years later, we see in Acts 13.52, and the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. But what do you know? It sounds like they made a home in Jesus after all. <laughs>